Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of September 23rd, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Wow, what a week. It could have been a very bad week. On Saturday, September 15th, my computer crashed. It's a Windows computer. You see that once in a while. Well, after an hour's worth of tinkering to see if the problem was something I could fix, I decided it wasn't. So I got out the notebook computer, plugged in a new backup drive, and continued working. From the time I decided that I couldn't do anything about the desktop computer until the time I was effectively back in business, it was probably no more than about five minutes even though I spent an hour or so tinkering with the computer first. Now, I preach to the choir a lot about the importance of backup, but backup has literally saved entire projects more than once. I've also said several times it's a good idea to buy a computer from a local assembler. This week's story justifies both of those positions. So, on Saturday morning, the computer was funny in a very unfunny way. Disk activity went through the roof, and the system became nearly unresponsive. Now, I've seen things like this for a while. I've tended to blame it on Vista. Not so. After a few minutes of disk thrashing, the computer black-screened and then rebooted. It had done that once before fairly recently, about a week or so ago. Well, I restarted the machine and began running the diagnostics to see if I could figure out what the problem was. I didn't get very far. The system crashed again, black screen. This time, rebooting produced a blue screen. I tried rebooting once again in normal mode, blue screen. Last known good reboot, blue screen. Safe mode, blue screen. Booting from the Vista DVD, blue screen. Well, sometimes a goofy peripheral can cause things like that, so I disconnected everything, all the USB devices, the scanner, even the mouse. I left the keyboard. You've got to have the keyboard attached to boot. Same results. So, I gave the company on the east side of town that I bought the computer from a call. This was Saturday, remember? They said, sure, we'll be here till 2, bring it in. I took the computer to the east side of town. They said, well, it looks like the hard disk is failing, based on first initial look at it. Do you need it back today? Well, I explained that I could work pretty easily from a notebook computer I have at home. In fact, last week's TechBiter Worldwide podcast was recorded using the backup system, and you can see that on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. And then Monday rolled around. It turned out the problem wasn't the disk drive, or maybe it wasn't just the disk drive. And I found that the Vista was giving them fits. It seems that Vista doesn't really like to run if it realizes that it's on a replacement drive. After several attempts, they found a special utility from Seagate that's based on the Acronis disk copy technology, and they were able to clone the disk that way. The result was my C drive went from a 200 gigabyte drive to a 250 gigabyte drive. But the blue screens continued, so I didn't get the computer back on Monday. They did several thorough memory tests, and it became clear that this was a problem with a failing 
memory module. So they replaced both memory modules again. Now this happened previously, a little more than a year ago. By Tuesday evening, the computer was ready, so I picked it up on Wednesday afternoon. Now, I've told you previously about using an online backup service, but I also use USB hard drives to back up data. And on Friday, the day before the big disaster, I had modified my backup procedure. Instead of using a backup application that compresses files and stores all the files as just one big file, I'd switched to using Microsoft's Sync toy that mirrors directories that I specify to an external hard drive. Files stored on that drive are in their native format. That means I can just plug the external drive into another computer and start working again. And that's how I was able to get back in business in about five minutes. All I had to do was plug in the monitor, the mouse, and the keyboard to my notebook computer, plug in the new USB drive, and start working again. I knew I could retrieve the few files that I had modified on Friday without updating them on the USB drive from the online service, but it turned out I didn't need to do that. I didn't need access to those files. I started creating this report on that backup drive. You already know how important backup is. I talk about it all the time. So this is a message about why I deal with a local hardware provider. Do you need it today? They would have been willing to rush the job to be sure that I got the computer back on Saturday if I really needed it. Now, chances are, because of the problems that they ran into, I wouldn't have gotten it back on Saturday. They would have had to go home. Or you never know. They might have stayed past the 2 p.m. closing time. But just try that with Dell or HP. And the next thing, well, the first thing we're going to do is clone the disk buy a computer from one of the large manufacturers, and if the hard drive fails, they'll send you a new one. But it's up to you to recover the data from the failed drive. The computer that came home with me on Wednesday had all of the applications that were on it when it left, and all the data. It also had two memory modules, and a slightly larger C drive, 250 gigabytes instead of 200. My cost for all of this? Zero dollars and zero cents. Three-year warranties are good. As usual, the hero of the story, TCR Computers. I have no commercial interest in TCR. I just think they're a darn good company. And to continue the backup theme, the other hero, Microsoft's Sync Toy. After installing the application, you tell it which directories you want to back up and where you want it to put the files. You can also specify whether files move one way or both ways, and whether actions that rename or delete files are mirrored on the copy. Now, do use some caution when you set this up. Stop and think about what you want. The default is probably not what you want, at least not the first time you do the copy. And because I had just started using the application, I was literally able to plug the backup drive into my notebook computer and go back to work almost immediately. And then when the desktop computer came back, SyncToy made the job of moving the new and changed files from the backup drive back to their proper location on the desktop easy. I was discussing this series of events, and a question came up from a science writer in eastern Washington. That's Washington State, which is in the west, 
and should not be confused with Eastern Washington, the District of Columbia, which is, of course, in the east. His question, I've got an external hard drive I use for backup. It's a Seagate, and it came with bounce back. He also mentioned that he had needed to get a free upgrade for Vista from Seagate. By the time I got it, I found that Vista has a built-in backup program, which I turned on. So now I'm using the Vista Backup and Restore Center and getting regular reminders from Bounce Back that I'm overdue. Should the Vista machine fail, could I access Vista backup files from a laptop running XP? And how about that Microsoft Sync toy? Good questions. I looked at the Vista backup application, and I discarded it. It's simply not fine-grained enough. You get everything or nothing. There are files, directories, and in some cases entire drives that I don't want to back up or need to back up. The main problem with any backup application is that you need the same application to restore the files. Granted, these applications do compress files so you can get more files in the same amount of space. That isn't important anymore, at least it isn't to me. When backups went to floppy disks or tape or CDs or even DVDs, conserving space was important. Now that my backup device is a 500 gigabyte external hard drive, I'm a lot more interested in ease of use than I am in conservation of space. I said I just plugged the external hard drive into the notebook and started using the files directly from the backup drive. And yes, it really was that easy, because the files had been stored individually. Had it been a true backup program, I would have had to restore the files I needed to the notebook computer, used them there, and then had to find a way to get them back to the desktop computer when it came back. All you have to do with SyncToy is name two directory pairs, a left side, the from, and a right side, the to directory. Then I tell it how I want the files handled. For example, copy left to right and mirror any renamed files and deletions. Copy left to right and include renamed files, but keep the file with the original name on the right and don't delete anything. Fully synchronize so that any change on either side will be mirrored. That's the one that actually can be kind of dangerous. I can also specify the kinds of files that I don't want to have backed up. Temporary files, backup files, things like that. I could use the Windows scheduler to schedule the backup, but I prefer to run SyncToy manually. I do that because I can't count on the disk being present at any specific time. Most of the time, the drive's at the office. I bring it home when I want to do a synchronized backup. Another advantage is that I can make sure the files that have changed are closed so that they'll be included. SyncToy is incapable of copying open files, and actually that's true of all but the most expensive backup applications. For Outlook users, this means that your gigantic Outlook file, the one that has all your email, contact names, calendars, and tasks, won't be backed up if Outlook is running. The backup included with Windows has a system restore option, which makes a snapshot of the entire drive, so that everything can be restored in a single move. That's not a bad idea to run something like that from time to time. So, to answer the most critical question, at least most critical as I see it, specifically, should the Vista machine fail, could I access Vista backup files from a laptop computer running XP? The answer is no. That's because the individual files would have been compressed and included in a single large backup file 
that you will not be able to restore to an XP machine because you don't have the backup program running there. 29 cents a gigabyte. That new 500 gigabyte external USB drive that I just added came to the grand total of $145, including shipping. That comes out to just a little more than a quarter per gigabyte. Seagate's free agent drives reveal a lot about how we deal with storage these days, and the instructions that came with the drive reveal just how far manufacturers have come in making the devices something the average computer user can actually use. Buying a hard drive used to be a pretty serious thing. It was perceived as being difficult, and in a way it was. In the days before personal computers, it definitely was. The things were fragile, for one thing. You needed to know exactly how to prepare them for use. And by the time PCs came along, well, you might have to attach mounting rails to the side before installing the drive. And after that, you'd have to format the drive probably twice, a low-level format, followed by an operating system format. It wasn't difficult. A little time-consuming, perhaps, but not really very hard. Well, Seagate free agent drives don't even come with manuals. Well, it comes with a pamphlet. There's a sheet of paper. The instructions are on one side. Warranty information is on the back. The instructions are on six panels. Consists of about 60 words, starting with, This won't take long, and ending with, Please enjoy. In between, the steps include taking the drive and cords out of the package, plugging the power cord in, plugging the USB cable in, and, well, that's about it. On a Windows machine running Vista, XP, or Windows 2000, the drive will be detected, and it's already been formatted as an NTFS drive. The drive is certified to work with Macs OS X, 10.3.9 or above. Mac users will need to reformat the drive using the operating system's disk utility. Oh, and there's also the box it comes in. Disk drives used to be packed in nondescript boxes. This one is in color, with snippets of text that suggest why people need more storage space these days. Let me read the box. Want to see it again? Think of it as an indie film. You promised not to laugh. Found my tax returns. I scanned everything. This song rocks. I took these with my new camera. One thumb down. Is this obsessive? There's my mom. Nice rug. How'd you do that? Who's the dork? This is so old. Have you heard this? What in the world? Can you believe the dress? Chapter 6 is my favorite. My magnum opus. Please don't make fun. What's in your dog's mouth? I love design. Stop showing off now. And on and on. On four of the boxes six panels. It actually makes it look like installing a hard drive would be fun. And, in fact, it is. On the bottom of the box, you'll learn the disk is a product of CN and manufactured in CN. CN, of course, means China. The front of the box doesn't say how large the disk drive is. Instead, there's an orange sticker that says USB 2.0 500 glorious gigabytes. They have other models, some include the eSATA interface in addition to USB. So putting both the interface and size information on a sticker means they have to print only one kind of box and duplicate a bunch of different stickers. The Quick Start leaflet has a stopwatch symbol at the bottom of each page and a time. You'll have opened the box and removed all the components, they think, in about 39 seconds. By 59 seconds, you'll have the power cord plugged in. Around a minute 11, you'll plug in the USB cable. And by a minute 36, the drive's going to be ready to go. 
It took me a little bit longer because I actually stopped to read the pamphlet, turned it over, read some of the warranty information, and marveled at the simplicity. The warranty is even written in plain English. The drive is warranted for five years against defects in materials and workmanship. Now, some oddities and anomalies about this particular disk drive. Uh, Drive has logic built in so that it turns on only when it's plugged into power, of course, and attached to a live USB port. Disconnect it from the USB port or turn the computer off, and the disk drive turns off. Clever. For that reason, there is no power switch on the drive. Now, I found that that actually annoys some buyers. Okay, if you need a power switch, either buy a drive from another manufacturer who still includes one, or plug the drive into a power strip that has a power switch. The case can't be opened. This annoys some people and might possibly annoy me someday. Most hard drive cases have a few screws so that a technician can open the case and gain access to a failed part. To open the free agent case, you'd have to break the case, and that would, of course, void any warranty. This might be taking no user serviceable parts inside, just a little bit too far. The USB cable that comes with the drive has kind of a non-standard plug. Actually, it's a very standard plug, but it's not one that's used on disk drives. The disk drive side connector is the kind you'll find on digital cameras. It's not what disk drives normally have, so you might or might not have trouble finding a replacement cable if you ever need one. But if you have a digital camera, you probably have a spare right there. And then there's the fact that the disk drive breathes. You've maybe seen the cute special effect that Apple uses when one of its notebooks is asleep. A light oscillates between bright and dim, so the computer seems to be breathing quietly, patiently. Well, Seagate applied the same idea to an orange-yellow stripe that's on the front edge of the drive. The constant activity makes some people just a little crazy. If you turn out to be one of them, this is a problem that can be solved very easily with a strip of black electrical tape. Well, these are all topics that I hadn't planned to talk about this week. A week ago, they were nowhere near the top of my mind. But it seemed both timely and important, so if you have digital music, digital pictures, video, financial records, and other documents on your computer's drive, and they're not backed up, what are you waiting for? In nerdly news, the Times Select is dead. Effective September 19, 2007, Times Select has ended. Content previously published for Times Select is available free to all NewYorkTimes.com visitors. That's about all the explanation visitors to the New York Times website received this week. Large commercial sites, such as that operated by the New York Times, can make more money from ads placed on a free site than they can make from charging visitors to read the site. It was two years ago this week that the newspaper began its subscription program priced at $50 a year or $8 a month for online access to the most popular columnists and to the archives. Print subscribers, along with some students and some educators, had free access to both Time Select and the archives. Well, after two years, Time Select had 227,000 online-only paying customers. That may seem like a lot. But 471,200 received it for free as a benefit of their home delivery subscriptions, and another 89,200 received it free on college campuses, total base 787,400. And that may seem like a lot. 
until you stop to think about the population of the rest of the country, if not the rest of the world, who would not be reading the New York Times online. IBM and OpenOffice. Hmm. IBM worked with Microsoft on the OS2 project, got burned rather badly, and has been unhappy with Microsoft ever since. Now, IBM plans to take on Microsoft Office with a retread of OpenOffice. The company says its programs promote an open-source document format. But they're not calling it OpenOffice. It's been remonikered IBM Lotus Symphony, even though it has nothing to do with Lotus or Symphony. If you want to take a look, you can download the application from the IBM website. Lotus-branded applications already compete with Microsoft, but not very successfully in email, messaging, and workgroup collaboration. IBM charges for Lotus applications, and not too many people seem to be willing to pay for them. Because Lotus Symphony is free, it might get a larger audience. IBM's programmers have been working with open-source software for a while now, and last week they officially joined the open-source group, and they have assigned 35 full-time programmers to the project. Microsoft Office being attacked from all sides these days. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of September 23rd, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.